Hello and welcome to the first campaign podcast of the new season. We had a summer break, but we're back now and what a week to come back. Um, I'm Claire Beale. I'm the Global Editor-in-Chief of Campaign and I'm joined today by Brian Weezer, a Senior Advertising Analyst at Pivotal Research Group, who's flown over from the States, especially to record this podcast with us, I think. It was, a, it was an added incentive to come over. Uh, and my colleague Gideon Spania, who's the Global Media Editor of Campaign. So it's been uh, another week dominated by WPP. Um, but before we get into the meat of what's been going on, I should explain that this podcast is coming to you from the Groucho Club on Dean Street in London, Soho. And we're here today because we've got a big photo shoot outside all day today actually and all day tomorrow where we're gathering the great and the good from advertising past and present uh, to take some pictures for our 50th anniversary special which is coming out in print at the beginning of October and we'll be bombarding our website uh, all through October too um, and there's a party there's lots of uh, celebrations being teed up so it's a big day for campaign uh, it's going to be a big month uh, coming up and we are uh, pretty full on today. So uh, early start with the podcast. I'm hoping everyone's wide awake. We've got caffeine galore in front of us. And if you hear cups chinking, uh, that's because we are trying to refuel to keep awake. So let's kick off. Monday morning, uh, finally, WPP confirmed that Mark Reed was going to be the new chief. No surprises in the sense that he was a favoured front runner but not particularly exciting news as far as I my reaction to it was a little bit um, uh, undramatic. Brian you had given um, you'd given him a big thumbs up as, as the sort of preferred candidate from an analyst point of view. Talk us through what your reaction was to the announcement on Monday. Sure. Well, thanks for having me here, first of all. Um, you know, I, I think from the moment that uh, he and Andrew Scott were uh, appointed in that co-chief um, uh, operating officer role um, after Searle's departure, um, it always seemed like he was the front runner. Um, it seemed like... There would have to be a really compelling reason why it wouldn't have been him at that point. If you were to look at all the internal candidates, there's many uh, capable managers across WPP. But when you look at all the boxes that need to be checked to, um, um, you know, satisfy certainly what in investors would want to see, uh, uh, Mark certainly has those. And so, um, in a sense, he was the default. Now there was a period that um, I think around. Uh, June, it felt like they were seriously considering others. And at that point in time, it seemed like it seems not quite unnecessary. You can understand why they'd want to do this from a, a corporate governance perspective, make sure they, they weren't seen to be just, fit, you know, uh, inserting someone who's, you know, just an internal favorite. Um, they needed to make sure the process seemed like it was rigorous. But, you know, it, they got to the place where, um, they probably should have, and uh, so it's it's fine. That's why, if anything, this was an undramatic yeah. uh, uh, appointment um, for analysts. And Gideon, I know you asked the chairman, Robert Quarter, whether um, there had been actually other credible candidates who wanted this job, because it is a difficult, difficult job. What did he say? 
He said he had plenty of candidates, and uh, we must take Roberto Corta at his word. Uh, there certainly wasn't a lot of speculation uh, or about credible candidates, and these things don't tend to um, stay quiet in, in any industry, let alone advertising the most gossipy. Um, Mark Reed was well qualified on pretty much every count, uh, like Brian says, and WPP is a very complex business uh, which has been created over 33 years by Martin Sorrell. And Reed has been there on and off since 1989. So he's been there 29 of those 33 years. And that's a major asset, I think, because Reed does have uh, clarity. We, he talked to the investors, including Brian in the audience uh, yesterday, and there was a really sophisticated understanding that there are a lot of agency brands and it needs to be simplified. And I think an outsider, leave aside whether they had a non-compete, unlike Martin Sorrell, which mm. would have delayed things another six months, it would be really hard for an outsider to come in and sort things out. Uh, Reed can still hire someone who's good at restructuring, for example, and he made clear he wants some fresh talent. So it was unsurprising on Monday, but uh, I have to say Martin Sorrell's reaction surprised me. Yeah, so... Um, before we get on to Martin Sowell, I just wanted to ask Brian, um, Quarter described Reid as a, a dynamic leader. Seeing him on the first quarter results presentation yesterday, he's very, his style is not dynamic. It's not, um, uh, he's not a showman. No. Uh, he's very much the sort of sensible, sober, thoughtful, intelligent choice supported I think by most of the senior WPP executives that I've spoken to is that is that what WPP needs now um, yeah I mean it's not that they need different people can uh, provide leadership in different ways I, I think he is a dynamic leader not dynamic as you say in the sense of being you know uh, in your face and um, you know um, I don't know the uh, trying to think of a, a, a fast running, like always moving, always flailing kind of um, person. That's not him. He's very deliberate. Yeah. Um, but dynamic in the sense of uh, focused on where the change is. Truly what dynamic is meant to mean, right? And I think that, you know, you go back to the investor presentations they've done over the years when Mark was, uh, uh, I guess he had a title CEO of WPP Digital. And they would have uh, um, done a number of events where they talked about, you know, their... Um, uh, their, their data death star. Uh, you know, there's a whole ton of things that they've done uh, over the years which really um, had Mark at the center of it, um, which involved trying to drive a lot of change into the company. So in that sense, dynamic is an appropriate word. So he was, he was the right choice. Consensus suggests he's the right choice. Martin Sowell had a slightly different take on the appointment, didn't he, Gideon? Tell us what his reaction was. So Martin... Sorrell has, he hired Mark Reed um, straight out of the university and he's known Mark Reed a very long time and uh, actually deserves credit, I think, for hiring lots of smart people, including Reed. And uh, Sorrell got in touch and said he thought that the five-month search had been a complete waste of time because when he um, was preparing to leave the company, there was already a emergency succession plan which involved Mark Reed and Andrew Scott becoming co-CEOs and then five months later 
uh, according to Sorrell, well, they've, they've basically come up with this um, set up anyway, so that it's been a waste to search. I don't think that's credible. It's obvious that the company had to do a proper search. And uh, Sorrell said that he thought that Reed and Scott should be a twosome, by which he meant they should be joint CEOs, mm. I believe. He didn't spell it out. And respectfully, I don't think Martin Sorrell was doing himself favours. I think he should be actually proud that two of the people who were loyal to him and worked for a very long time to help him build the group uh, have risen to the top of the company. Uh, that's a, actually, in a perverse way, very orderly succession planning, for considering Sorrell left at um, a time not of his choosing. But uh, to be frank, the you know, people will get on with um, within WPP with their job without Sorrell there now. Uh, I think investors, and I defer to Brian, but I think investors will have the jury out on Reed for a while. They know him, but it's so hard being number one. And their recent history shows that whenever you take over from uh, a long-serving CEO, it's incredibly hard. There's going to be disruption. I find it hard to believe that they're not going to be some departures. Reed's going to want new people. It, it's... It's going to be hard for him to put his stamp on the company. Uh, I mean, he's he's well, he's well qualified to do it, but I wouldn't say. I mean, plenty of people would say, you know, take it on and really change the business. And he's caught, he's doing radical evolution, but he's going for evolution. So, do do you think Sorrell was trying to imply that he wasn't strong enough to be a, a sole CEO? Was that the the subtext? I think that's that is Sorrell's. It's hard to avoid that conclusion. Let it, let's put it that way. I mean, um, uh, it, for, for the record, Sorrell has come out several times publicly and criticised the way that WPP managed his departure and has done, you know, let go of a, or, and one of the directors has left. He's, he's made clear that he, he does not rate um, the chairman, Roberto Corta. Yeah. Uh, so... I love it. You wrote a story on uh, Sorrell's response yesterday and uh, there was a quote in there from him saying that he, he said, I, I wrote to them um, congratulating them and making a few observations. I'm sure that was not a very welcome email. Uh, who knows? Um, uh, I, 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 as I said, you, you, it's just the best thing to do, I think, is let the new leadership at WPP get on with it. And Sorrell has set up his own company, S4 Capital. It's about to begin re uh, trading again on the stock market, bar surprise, with Media Monks. I mean, one thing is for sure, if Sorrell's going to keep doing stuff and he says that he's a top 10 shareholder in WPP as a private individual, mm -hmm. so he does have some right to say stuff. It's just fairly novel, shall we say, to have the ex-CEO um, offering advice semi-in-public. Yeah, very interesting. Now let's, um, so so Mark Reed obviously has been steering the company since April. Um, and yesterday, WPP had their first quarter results. It's obviously been months of, of turmoil and uncertainty. But Brian, what, what were the takeouts from the results yesterday? You know, I think that the industry state is where it is, is to say it's pretty tepid overall. You know, you have healthy media agency business on a relative basis. You have an unhealthy creative network business on the other. A um, lot of puts and takes, but broadly speaking, negativity around most of the business. 
Um, but you know, the amazing thing, and going back to you know Searle's departure, it was always it was remarkable to me that uh, obviously there were reasons why he he was pushed out, but they underperformed the industry by about a percentage point. I mean, it's not a lot. <laughs> the industry isn't meaningfully different because he's left, and it's not meaningfully better now, and it will take a little bit of time still. Um, I think the industry is still working through uh, a lot of problems. There's certainly deceleration in revenue because of, I think, in part the K2 report, going back two years uh, ago. This was a report into media agency transparency exactly. in the U.S. I think that's been a factor, but I think a bigger factor has been that marketers have looked to cut costs wherever they can, uh, especially in creative production, which has been a, a, a bigger source. And so that was coming through without spelling that out specifically um, in the numbers that they're seeing. And they're hurt a little worse than their peers in this regard. Um, but the underlying trends aren't that different. Uh, in terms of the highlights, if you will, of the uh, results, I think the and the reason why the shares uh, responded negatively was the guidance of uh, worse margins for this year versus prior guidance. Um, but they, there's no reason, in my opinion, to believe that they can't uh, revert back to margin improvement over time, that they can't eventually cycle through uh, a lot of the factors that are causing deceleration of revenue growth at this point. Uh, or over the last year. And so, yeah, they can get back to growth. It just takes time. Just for um, comparison, how, how are WPP's margins compared to their com competition? You know, it's really, it is harder than most people appreciate to compare uh, margins of profitability across the, the groups, um, in part because of the revenue mix that uh, each has in terms of their, um, their relative skew towards, say, media versus creative, um, international, versus, you know, um, not, well, uh, North America versus non-North America. Um, and so there's a number of factors. Generally speaking, um, they're relatively high. My theory is that Omnicoms are actually the highest uh, if they were truly on a like-for-like -like basis, but their numbers are very obscured by a number of businesses that objectively aren't really agency businesses and uh, different accounting than the others adhere to. Gideon, it was quite clear from the results yesterday that um, it's the creative agencies that are struggling. Yes, I mean, just for those who don't know, the, the, the results showed that in the last quarter, that is April to June, that actually Reed and Scott were in basically interim charge. The revenues, less pass-through costs, which is sort of things which aren't actually agency fees, um, rose by 0.7%. So that's that was the first growth on a quarterly basis for five quarters. So that gives you a sense that the company had turned a bit. And as Brian said, North America was down, I think, about 2.9% for the first half. So uh, that shows, and they said, that is their weakest area. And interestingly, when it came to weakness, they talked about the creative agencies struggling and the media agencies and some other businesses performing better and one of the analysts said so what is the polarization between how for the sake of argument media is growing or, or and creatives not and what all Reid said was well the difference is more than plus 
1% and minus 1%, and the gap is widest in North America. So uh, you can interpret that, they wouldn't give any more detail, you can interpret that to mean the creative agencies in the US are probably hurting worst of all, and they are the great names of Madison Avenue, mm. uh, uh, yeah, the sort of JWT, Gray, Y&R. And um, repeatedly, both in Reed's commentary and then in some of the questions from the analysts, it was, so what's going wrong with the creative networks? And uh, there were, to me, there's, the striking thing was, Reed was saying, essentially, clients are looking for a different suite of services where the equivalent of the big 30-second TV ad does not sit at the centre. So he gave an example. On the Shell Review, which... WPP was defending the business. The lead agency had been JWT. They went back. They went to pitch with Wonderman, the agency that Reed used to run, as the first sort of the front and centre. And the reason was that they, that is the WPP team, deduced that kind of customer experience was more important than mm. a big creative. And um, he gave another example with Unilever uh, and their Sunlight brand that in Africa, that the, the, I don't know if it was a proposal, but Ogilvy and JWT were competing. The client, Unilever, said to WPP, this doesn't make sense to have these two agencies competing. They should be working together. And Reed was saying, essentially, uh, and he spelled it out, we've got to collaborate more. We've got to be more, and this is a significant language, one, co one company rather than a group more a company than a group. Mm. And what that I interpret that to mean is, is that WPP, the holding company, is going to become uh, less important as a, as a collector of agency brands and more of a single proposition. He did say brands are important. There's a second thing which was interesting. He said co-location of agencies is becoming important. And now Brian in New York knows, where's, is it World Trade Center where a whole bunch of WPP agencies moved in? Like 4,000 people, I believe. Reed gave the example of Portugal. They used to have, he said, about 20 agencies in different offices. And each with sort of 30 people. He was generalizing slightly, but he specifically used that number, about 20 buildings. Now... They've got one big building in Lisbon, 600 people overlooking the waterfront, JWT, Ogilvy and whoever in their Group M, these different brands. And he was saying he thinks it's better for, if he was, he used this language, he said, if I, if I was a 21-year-old looking, I'd like this new building, not um, a, a lock-up on the third floor of a Victorian building, which is ironic because we're sitting here in Soho in the so heart of you know, old agency land in London where a lot of agencies start out on the first or second or top floor. Uh, in fact, um, lots, lots of them are still there. So this is a long-winded way of me saying Reed was really presenting a new world, something that Sorrell was already starting with, but saying we need to double down on it and we also need to be in clients' offices. If they want us closer to them, we've got to go there. And all this um, pride and hang-ups about... Um, uh, for the sake of argument, the great um, agency office are on uh, for a creative network on on the the equivalent of Barclay Square. Those days are over. So Brian, we traditionally have seen holding companies' assets as as literally being the brands, the agency brands. 
if those days are over, what what does that mean in terms of which brands might go? Do you have any feel for for what Reed needs to be doing in terms of merging and? Yeah, well, the simplification um, of brand is certainly uh, essential. I mean, I I I, I can always have a fun parlor game with. Uh, um, people who are maybe adjacent to the industry, um, if not directly in it, <clears throat> to say, all right, connect the agency brand name to the holding company. I mean, we've all seen, I'm sure you've produced the, those wall maps of, of like what agency is in what holding company. The fact that that's generally necessary for most people is, I think, symptomatic. And, and again, Reed uh, uh, articulated this well yesterday. Um, uh, that it's just, it's overly complicated, it's unnecessary. A lot of these agencies are, in fact, vanity agencies. Someone wants to say they're a CEO of an agency, and rather than paying them um, a lot of money, you say, okay, how about this? You can have your own agency and your own P&L and whatever. And, and it, it can be an effective way to manage talent, manage staff, etc. but unfortunately, it comes at the consequences of, or the cost of confusing clients and maybe diminishing the overall brand. So they'll wind up with, I bet, if there are several hundred brands, maybe they wind up with a few dozen. They're not going down, I think it was pretty clear in saying they're not going down the publicist path of being a, a, a publicist, um, you know, where, where everything wants to be branded publicist. Um, I, it, it, I was taken aback the last time I was in London uh, at the time of Publicist Investor Day. Where the event is in the Sachin Sachi building. The CEO, global CEO Sachi is speaking. I think you were there yeah, as well. Yeah. And he said, hi, I'm the CEO of the creative agency. Like, what? <laughs> Not even referencing the word Sachi? Yeah, the brand names were very, very recessive, yeah. weren't they, through the whole day? And, and that's a contrast, because yeah. they, they're not going to go that far. But they will diminish the number of brands, that's for sure. So can, can I get from both of you a prediction as to what, what brands might go? Oh, I mean, I think you just rank order by revenue and just lop off the lower. So what yeah. would you... I don't know. <laughs> I'm not going to put myself on the line, but uh, I will say, because it came up in the discussion, he said he's not going to merge two... This was in an answer to an analyst question. He's not going to merge two creative networks. He doesn't not going to merge two media networks, and he doesn't see a sense in creative and media agencies merging, which would be effectively a form of reintegration. And his point there was the media agencies need to get closer together to trade more as one pool technology and so on. Uh, those are all interesting points. Now, there is some gossip, and I'll stress it's only speculation, that Wonderman, the agency he used to run, um, uh, could possibly take absorb JWT. There's also suggestions that VML and YNR could come together. Um, Reed wouldn't comment, and... There's, it's just in this role of speculation. I don't buy anyone. Those to say are so. great illustrations of the sorts of combinations you would expect. I mean, it's not just because a name has been around a hundred years doesn't necessarily mean it means anything anymore, yeah. anyways. Um, and I think that if the, you know, again in the Publicis example, they are starving their creative networks. I think for a number of years of resources, it's less true for for WPP, but to the extent that. Uh, there are a lot of brand names that just don't mean anything in particular. I mean, to go outside of, of uh, WPP, take Whiting Candy as an agency brand absolutely means something. Like one tweet of Colin Kaepernick, and there's the campaign. 
I mean, you should explain it just to spell well. If, if you Nike. if you haven't seen it for Nike, yeah, if anyone hasn't seen it, it's a, it's quite. A, this is can lie material, and it's one tweet, one image. There won't even be any media spend. Um, but the the point is that that's an agency brand that that will stand out. Um, there are relatively few that 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 are like that. Most, I think, you know, there are no sacred cows, as you know, as Marcus said himself. Yeah, really interesting. He he absolutely nailed the fact that those traditional creative agencies do not have a birthright to be lead agency anymore. So one way or another, we're going to see um, some, some, as he said, it, radical evolution at WPP under Mark Reed's tenure. Yeah, I can understand he's not going to um, tell analysts or journalists what he's going to do before he tells the staff. And actually, one thing we perhaps uh, should say is he's quite a consensual figure and uh, he has, in his note in memos to staff and in talking to generally the industry he's talked about the need to foster a good culture to attract millennial talent and to be a bit more progressive and uh, he talks about a new C, a new WPP um, what well, we understand what that really means which is he, he wants to do things differently from Sorrel and the truth is Sorrel f- saw a lot of these issues and, and spoke about them and Whatever the reasons, he Sorrel didn't push hard enough. I can understand if I'd spent hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars, billions on these acquisitions. I mean, what? It's hard thinking some some of these agencies have had their time and knowing my collection, mm-hmm. that bottle of wine has gone off. But hey, this other bottle of wine has suddenly got really great. That's a good analogy. Like before we wrap up, um, Brian, I just wanted to talk to you quickly. You've been called a critic of Facebook and there's a, an important development happening at Facebook this afternoon. Can you just tell us what's going to happen and, and what the, the yeah. consequences might be? Well, so um, in the United States, the, the U.S. Senate um, has a hearing um, this afternoon, Wednesday. Uh, it will feature uh, Twitter's Jack Dorsey, um, Facebook's Sheryl Sandberg, and an empty chair uh, is scheduled uh, for Google because apparently they don't think it's important to show up. And um, and so this will be Sandberg's first time uh, testifying, I believe, for Dorsey as well. But for Sandberg, it's particularly notable because so many problems have emerged for Facebook over the last two years, most of which probably fall under her um, responsibilities. Uh, and so, obviously, some of these very directly impact advertisers when we think about metrics issues. Um, when we think about the, uh, um, let's just say, the relative trust of the platform um, that flows from um, the presence of um, toxic activity, uh, whether that's inauthentic behavior or it's manipulation on the part of foreign actors in any given country's um, activities. Uh, anyways, she will be um, uh, testifying to a U.S. Senate that will probably not be overly friendly. Um, and so I think it will be one of the first, you know, analysts are not typically given a chance to do a lot of back and forth. I have to say to their credit, um, they've taken my questions. I mean, within the realm of what analysts can do, like you get a, a question out and they answer it. It's hard for them. To, they don't really say much, and there's not a lot of back and forth. It'll be harder to eliminate the back and forth uh, in this context. And more importantly, um, 
she'll be put in a position where she has to, she's the supplicant, essentially, as, as will Dorsey be, um, uh, to a, a, a Senate that won't necessarily be um, very positive towards them. Quick question, Brian. Obviously, you talk to investors and you also have worked in agencies yourself. And so you, what, what is the sentiment towards digital media uh, and what you see about uh, also the duopoly? Because you were one of the first, I think, to spot the duopoly and actually crunch the numbers. How are things changing and or is it changing at all? No, I mean, I think most investors still uh, are having a hard time processing that there are limits to growth, which is why the stock is still pretty elevated, I think, relative to where it should be. There are increasing numbers of investors who are understanding that maybe they can't keep growing as fast as they have been growing. And again, Facebook guided uh, down, but most investors are thinking, oh, this is self-inflicted. This is Facebook um, willingly or willfully uh, using their inventory to promote you know, stories which ignores that the demand just isn't there, right? So investors still aren't fully there yet for the most part. Um, yeah, I, I think that most investors are still probably a little too positive on the growth potential for digital advertising. And more importantly, when you hear investors or anyone talk about ARPUs as an average revenue per user in the context of advertising-supported stocks, you need to question why they're thinking the way they're thinking. When was the last time a user spent money on advertising. Never! Why are we talking about ARPUs? But that is what almost every single analyst talks about in the way they think about it. They're completely detached from how the advertising industry works, which means you have to question how they're thinking about the growth mm. prospects. Most of them are not thinking correctly at all. So that still has a lot of, um, that still has to get eradicated from thinking. We need to get you back later in the year to Hopefully. talk us through. Thank you both so much. That's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. There's obviously a lot there that's, uh, that's going to be sparking change over the next few months. So we will keep, keep in touch. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Tune in next week.